0: Welcome to Acquire, Sheets marketing podcast. I'm your host, Rebecca Cohen, head of Tearsheet Studios. On today's episode, I'm speaking with Carl Gertman, co-founder and CEO of Conduit, a B2B fintech providing infrastructure for DeFi payments. Speaking of DeFi, before we jump in, in case you haven't heard, Sheet will be launching the very first Bankchain conference, all about the merging of traditional finance with crypto and blockchain technology, coming this May. We'll be talking with leading crypto leaders from Coinbase, Paxos, ZeroHash, and more about partnering with traditional FIs and bringing those two worlds together. Submissions for the Bank Chain Awards are currently open for those exceptional firms and products paving that way, and tickets for attendees are live on our site, so check it out. On today's Acquire podcast episode, Carol and I will be talking about Conduit's mission of building one API for DeFi about going to market in unlikely geographies and crafting a reliable and trustworthy brand that manages to stand out in the sci-fi aesthetic of the crypto world. Carol, welcome to the show. Thank
1: you very much for having me.
0: So before we jump in, can you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what Conduit actually does?
1: Sure. So uh, as you said, my name is Carol. I'm the CEO of Conduit, allowing other companies to get uh, access to yields in DeFi. Either for themselves, you know, to manage their corporate balance sheet or for their users to create a high earning account for their
0: customers. So you're not only the CEO, but the co-founder of Conduit. Can you tell us about the time and the space that led up to the decision to found this company?
1: I've been in the space for, for quite a while now. I've been in fintech for uh, probably about 12 years now. Uh, and... Uh, That's, you You know, if you're listening, you probably can't see it, but that's how I lost my hair because fintech is a tough industry, you know, and I've been in banking as well for a little while. And I tried to do some innovation within banking, which was a really fun and exciting challenge. Um, And then I moved on to crypto and I spent probably the last four or five years in crypto and uh, I built uh, actually consumer facing products first. So I was a, a VP of Product at BRD, which was a mobile wallet got acquired by Coinbase and then was head of product at ECO, uh, which is also a crypto wallet, essentially, but doesn't look like one, right? To the end user, it looks just like a regular new bank, just like a regular checking account, except that they get, you know, 5% of interest. In building these things, one, one thing that I realized is that this is hard, right? It's difficult, um, and it's difficult every time. Maybe not the most astute observation, but after having done this, you know, after having kind of banged my head against the wall a couple of times, I realized the wall is actually pretty hard. Um, And I thought one of the reasons for that is because, you know, when I was on the fintech side, I saw a lot of sort of the infrastructure stock be, you know, be built essentially, right? So, you know, when I got started in fintech, all you had to work with was like uh, a company called Yodley which is maybe they're great today. Uh, but there wasn't, there wasn't Plaid, there wasn't like but there wasn't anything really. And over the years, I saw these things come up and make life easier for fintech founders, fintech product people like myself. And then when moving into crypto, I realized none of that is there, right? None, none of that is there, basically. There is very little infrastructure, very little vendors that you can rely on. But at the same time, crypto can actually deliver uh valuable useful products more than the traditional sort of financial infrastructure right because if you're working in a traditional um, sort of fintech that's based on top of a traditional bank you you don't have much control over the underlying product at the end of the day right so like you can put a nicer ux on it you can put a nicer mobile app on it you can do a lot of things that are actually useful and valuable but the underlying product the checking account the savings account you know the debit card they were very restricted in many ways, right? You can't do very much about them. In crypto, you can, but again, it's hard, right? It's really hard to put these things together in crypto, especially in a way that's seamless to the end user. And so having realized that, um, I decided to, to start Conduit because I thought other companies will want to build on top of crypto and specifically on top of DeFi as well. They're gonna find it hard just, to, just like I did, and they're going to need help. So maybe I can provide them with that help. And, um, started this actually with, um, you know, I was the head of product, at eco, my co-founder and CTO today, Mike, Michael Gregson, uh, was the head of engineering over there. So we essentially kind of started this together, um, around, uh, June of last year and, um, been going out of
0: I always appreciate the, um, grassroot-ness. I think I think it's a word. I don't care. Whatever the grassroots, You understand what I'm saying? Right. Of founders that bring a product to market that actually um, solves their own problems. I think that's a pretty, generally speaking, a good go ahead formula for actually doing something that matters, right? Um, that's right. And I just got to say, you know, I'm normally speaking to CMOs, I'm normally speaking to creative directors on the Acquire podcast about marketing, about branding, but today I'm speaking to you, the co-founder and CEO, like we said, and I think that that tells about the nature of the company and and how early you are in your growth. Still, I'm interested and and I want to talk to you specifically because you've set your eyes on a pretty lofty goal, right? Your motto, building one API for DeFi. Can you talk to us about that?
1: That's true, I, we, we don't have a CMO, we don't have a, a creative director, but I, I used to be a designer before I became a product manager. Before I got into FinTech, I had a happy life <laughs> designing things. And, you know, uh, so I have a little bit of background in that. Not that I'm doing everything myself here, I actually have help, obviously, but um, but that's one of the reasons. And, uh, and actually speaking of help, I will have to admit that uh, the catchphrase one API for DeFi it's actually over here by the way yeah um so one one api for defi actually came from one of our earliest um, angel investors simon taylor from 11fs who's the uh, one of the co-founders and, and i think right now chief product officer 11. um when i was describing what i wanted to build right even i think even before we officially started the company uh he just kind of you know right right off the <laughs> Right away, he was like, "Hey, that's one API for DeFi," so we adopted that. So thank you, Simon.
0: And why is it actually a, a new uh, or important promise for your target audience?
1: No such thing existed before. In order for a company, any company, to connect to DeFi, you had to work with probably you know two, three different vendors, and then also build a lot of stuff in house because there just wasn't. There wasn't a platform, there was one stop shop, essentially, that you could use to connect to DeFi. So that's, that's part of us. That's what we're doing. We want to make this really as seamless uh, of an experience as possible. Like get get rid of all the complexity, abstract away all, all this weird stuff, all this difficult stuff that has to do with crypto, and just let people connect them to us and build on top of us.
0: So speaking of that, you recently launched a corporate treasury product, right? Going beyond that API. Can you tell us about that?
1: Yeah, so... Um, I guess maybe for 10 seconds, I'll actually give you the backstory of that because one of our first customers in, in Brazil, um, got me on zoom like this. And he said, you know, we're integrating into this API on the engineering side. And this is great, but, uh, you know, I'm an accountant at the end of the day. I, I need something to click on because I'm also seeing a bunch of cash work. We have good cash, cash flow, And I want to deploy that. I want to be able to use that for something. And I can't use the API. So can you just give me a, like like an interface? And so that's what we did. And that's, that was the beginning of that product. Um, and since then, we I think every customer that we've had actually started using both, right? So both the API side and then the, the corporate treasury, which is essentially a web UI on top of that same API.
0: We've definitely been seeing recently that more and more companies are, financial and otherwise, right? Adding digital assets and cryptocurrencies to their corporate treasury strategies and, and kind of, you know, jumping on the boat. Um, what can you tell me about positioning your product, positioning your brand in order to stand out in the midst of a demand like that?
1: First of all, there's just not a lot of products like that out there today, right? So that kind of makes my life both easier and harder. Easier in the sense that there's not on a competition, um, and harder in the sense that uh, we need to do a lot of education around this. What is it, how does it work? What's the risk? Um, and all these sort of things. So very happy to do it, which is you know, one of the reasons why I get on these podcasts and, and then, you know, I try to tell people as much as I can about these things. But um, I think from what I've seen so far, probably 80% of the, of the sales cycle is essential education. Right? if if we can explain how this how how this works and what it is the rest of the way is actually relatively easy because look we're giving you you know five six eight percent on top of your cash on top of your dollars why wouldn't you want that right so that part is relatively easy actually
0: so how do you actually go about creating that understanding you know because your undertaking is is educating traditional finance folks um within and, and outside of, of finance but from a traditional standpoint about crypto, which is potentially controversial, potentially problematic, mostly just misunderstood, right? What, what's the strategy around that?
1: One thing that I found uh, people appreciate is the fact that I don't try to hide, you know, the fact that. You know, is it risk-free? No, it's not, right? There are risks involved. Um, And I explained in as much detail as we can provide exactly what are these risks, what does it look like, right? And we're just being very, very transparent about this. We also, uh, we approach this from a point of view of, would we be comfortable deploying our own capital, putting your own money into this, right? And this is one of the biggest things that people always ask me, have you actually put your own, right? We raised around recently, 17 million, and they said, you know, are you putting any of that money towards that? And I say, yeah, actually, we are. Uh, we're fooding in that sense, right? Putting our own capital to work in our own product. And I can demonstrate that. I can even, you know, screen share or whatever, and I, sh- I can show them that. And then, again, build trust. So just coming at it from a very open and transparent angle and-, and just being open to questions and being ready to answer as much as we can has been pretty helpful so far. Like I said, have I figured this all off? Maybe not.
0: Well, thank you for the transparency <laughs> around not having it all figured out. I think nobody does, right? And transparency is, is really key. And I think it's interesting and not such an obvious choice in financial services. M- maybe more, more, more mandated in crypto because there is all this, this mystique, this unknown, this misunderstanding about it as a financial product, as a financial pathway for your corporate treasury strategy. But also, there's a lot of mystery and unknown risks around all financial products, and yet a lot of traditional financial products leave it in the fine prints, which is very, very, very small and very, very, very long. So thank you. That's very refreshing, and, and, and I think that's the path forward for sure. Since launching and starting the journey with Conduit, specifically in the corporate treasury product as well, what sort of unexpected things... Uh, might have happened. I'm curious. And and what can you also pass on to founders in the space that are undertaking their own journeys, perhaps?
1: Yeah, I think there there were a number of things that that were interesting. And I mean, even the creation of this product altogether, right, was something that we didn't necessarily expect in the beginning. We thought we're just going to be uh, straight up API, right? No UI, no UX, no nothing. And people are going to use that. And they are using it, but they also want, they still want easier... Kind of ways of accessing and and then uh, i think what i should actually say is that for other founders out there right for other people that they're thinking about how to position the product how to sell it one lesson that was really important to realize was time to value right and what i mean by that is the fact that when we're selling an api um it's always an integration process at the end of the day no matter how simple you make it so it's really weeks until they're they can see any value, right? They can see the product working. And one of the things that the dashboard allows us to do is actually reduce the time to hours, right? Not even hours, but minutes, right? We give uh, somebody in the company a login, they log in, they can actually start clicking around and seeing that the thing actually works. It's a lot easier to manage than if I had to wait, you know, for weeks, potentially months for the engineering time to do their integration and for them to see something come out of it. So that's definitely a big deal and a big lesson for us.
0: So something interesting about Conduit, and you mentioned this earlier, is that your first customer base is not actually American or European or Western. Uh, I assume there might be some regulatory interests there, um, but also some complications, right? Still, most crypto platforms typically start tackling traditional Western markets, and here you are targeting places like Brazil. So can you talk about the choice or go to market there and and what might have come
1: from that? We went to market in Latin America first. Brazil was the first country. Now, Colombia, uh, Argentina, also looking at Africa. Now, we have strong inbound from places like Nigeria, and like Kenya. And, you know, a lot of companies, a lot of founders, whether, you know, American, Israeli, European, they kind of just tend to naturally look at the American market and they think that's all that there is, right? They're just like, oh... You know, we're going to go to the States and this is great. The States are a huge market. There's a big world out there outside from the US with a lot of potential customers they are really often underserved, right? By, by startups, but also by general financial systems. So that was another big lesson. Just look outside a little bit and see if there's interest. And that was the case for us.
0: So what did you learn about um, having launched in these geographies, right? That we normally don't ever hear about in the financial industry?
1: that i learned is actually a lot about their uh regulation and compliance right because what we do has to do with money movements and specifically with crypto so in every country where we're um, we're in in market essentially we had to go and talk to local experts to understand where the legal requirements were like regulation in each country to learn a lot about that and uh it was uh, and i also learned that lawyers are expensive which i knew before but you know i kind of didn't realize the full extent of it (laughs) um but that that's okay so uh so that was a big lesson but i think the other the other lesson which is maybe more actionable for other folks uh out there is again the fact that it, it may seem a little daunting right it may seem a little bit scary like i've never been to brazil or as before colombia right and so you can you're starting to think how is this gonna work right are we gonna be able to even find the common language i speak a bunch of languages but not speak specifically portuguese for example so and then you realize, you know what, it's just people, same people over there as well. And you can most for the most part, you can use English and you can find some sort of common uh common interest. And you can realize, you know what, if we deliver a good product, it's still a good product, even in Brazil or, or in Africa, right? That doesn't matter. But also had to learn a lot about how the kind of local people interact, how um, you know, it's it's a little bit different from a cultural point of view and all these sort of things. So that was that was a lesson as well. Um, which we're still learning. Like I said, I haven't gotten it all figured out. i very open about that.
0: So I can only assume that by expanding into these new geographies, you're not only uh, meeting a new customer base and tapping into a new customer base, but you're also changing internally the fabric of the company and what you guys are made out of. And that's really special.
1: We have people right now kind of all over. I think we have people in... So obviously I'm the U.S. today. But we have people, in some some other folks in the states. We have people in Canada. We have people in Argentina, in Brazil, in in Spain, um, in Ukraine, and you know a bunch of other places. So yeah, kind of all over the place.
0: So back to when you started the company, can you tell us about the name Conduit?
1: Funny enough, I. I think I came up with the name very quickly uh, because I was really looking for a word that describes the connection, the bridge, right? So, you know, between the crypto world, like the, the scary world of crypto and DeFi, is somewhat unknown, right? And the more traditional sort of financial world. So I looked at a bunch of things like bridge. And you know, I think we had a few other choices. And usually, they are taken by kind of more famous, bigger companies, or uh, just otherwise trademark not available. So, I actually, came up with content pretty quickly. But then I put it aside, and I thought, you know, there's got to be something better out there. There's got to be something else. So we worked internally quite a bit, and actually worked with an external consultant as well, a branding consultant. It's really good. Uh, but after probably several weeks, I think maybe, you know, over a month of looking at other variations and our names, we just kind of came back to this one because we never found anything that we thought that fit us better.
0: It is a great name. So so did you work with uh, this branding specialist on the colors, the fonts, and, and all the other visual elements as well?
1: We really focused... Uh, we actually really focused on 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 the name, the word itself, right, the tone itself, and what what would it sound like, what would what it would uh, convey, right? And then uh, only after we kind of went back to the to, to conduit, we started working actually with, with somebody else, with a designer that I've known for for years, and is great um, on on the branding, so on the colors, right, on the on the uh, on on the brand, and we I wanted something that. Tends out just a little bit right if you've seen the website it's it's a little bit different than what you normally see especially in crypto a lot of the time in crypto you have these sort of sci-fi themes it looks like an 80s kind of sci-fi movie and that's cool and all but i don't think it conveys the message of or the sense of confidence right i don't think it conveys something that like we wanted to look um Reasonable in some sense, right? Approachable, stable, right? And and say you know we're kind of we're here we know what we're doing, and we went for you know somewhat of a muted theme in terms of the backgrounds, right? That you see, and and maybe a little bit more of a of a stronger theme with the actual colors again to just stand out a little bit. I don't think you see a lot of like orange and blues and in, in crypto it's usually again like very sci-fi stuff most of the time. We actually wanted to get away from that.
0: Crypto companies love a space exploration visual. They love a purple gradient, and in fact, that's the color we went with for BankChain conference that's coming up in May about uh, crypto companies partnering with FIs to to describe you know this moment in time, and that's what our event is all about. And and so this color f- feels really right. Um, and still, I, I'm really interested in your take. Um, and I think it's because you, you got in touch with who your target audience actually is, right? And it's not these meme stock folks that are looking into the future in which banks no longer exist. It's, it's accountants and it's big firms that potentially have had nothing to do with crypto up until coming across your company, right? And you are really the bridge or the, the shepherd or the conduit, right? <laughs> All the synonyms um, that is guiding them into that DeFi world. And that requires a lot of trust,
1: yeah, that's right. That's basically, and I wouldn't dismiss right accounting is hard by the way. I wouldn't dismiss it. I can't. I can't do it myself. So I have a lot of respect for folks to do it. But um, we wanted to be. Yeah, we wanted to essentially be approachable, right? And we wanted to say that's the whole premise of of us. At the end of the day, we make it easy for you, right? We make it seamless. We make it. Really simple. We take all the complexity and we hide it in a, in a box, right? That, that's to our basement or thing. And, and that's, that, that's why we wanted. I specifically wanted to, for us to look a little bit different, right? You see, if you look at the illustration style, for example, same thing there as well, right? We kind of wanted to present something that that looks nice and and looks a little bit different and looks more, again, with the with a style that just conveys. Some, some calmness almost, in some sense, you know what I mean? Like some some sense of stability, of security, reliability, these sort of things, rather than, you know, oh my God, you know, the like candlesticks are going up and down like crazy.
0: So I'm curious, if, if you didn't draw inspiration from what the rest of the crypto world looks like right now, what did you use as your references for your designs, if anything?
1: It's a good question, actually. So we what we did, we looked a little bit, and I wouldn't say even as reference, but we looked a little bit for inspiration, you know, on companies that, that sometimes, for example, Robo Advisor, so um well simple up in Canada has really, really nice design. We didn't take it as much, right? But we looked more towards companies that are trying to instill a similar sense, right? So a similar sensibility of we we manage these things for you, but we're reliable, right? We're not, we're stable or all these things. So we looked at that a little bit. And then, like I said, we didn't actually take their style. We didn't even follow that very closely. We, I think we came up with something that, that's hopefully our own. Um, I'm pretty happy with it, to be honest with you. And I guess, by the way, the other thing that I should admit to, to, to not doing people usually do, we didn't do a ton of user testing on this or anything like that, right? We didn't, we did a bit around the messaging and around the copy, but not necessarily around the design itself, because, uh, again, I just felt that it worked for us and I kind of stuck with it and...
0: This sensibility of trust, stability, reliability, those are terms that we traditionally expect from our banks, right? Those are actually the grand promises of banks, which crypto doesn't have yet on its own two feet, right? That long-standing, Strong branch first, we'll handle your money, don't worry. Legacy. So it's really interesting to see that sensibility blend with the DeFi first mindset, right? Um, And I want to ask about the crypto landscape at large for a second. Uh, As an outsider, individual consumer looking in, it seems to me like the changing regulatory landscape and the SEC taking their strides and making waves. Can be confusing, maybe even scary for firms that are starting out in the space. Two months back, we, you know, we heard about the hundred million dollar block settlement. I'm wondering, what do these changes mean for you as a brand that is positioning itself in the industry at this present moment? D- does it at all? You know, does it change the way that you present yourself and the language that you're using uh, when communicating with clients with investors?
1: Probably every every customer, not just customer, everybody actually. I know some people there aren't even in crypto um once that happened they came and asked well what does it mean for you is this right What does it means for the industry and i think right now in terms of where where we are as a company i almost don't differentiate between my personal response and you know what the company's position is they are different don't give me wrong everything i say here is my personal opinions right but uh but nonetheless so Number one, I I think it's actually a positive thing. That's how BlockFi positioned it. And I think it's right. It was an expensive thing for them, but overall for the industry, for us, it's a positive thing. But again, at least we have some sense of, okay, here's what we need to do now. Here's the path that we need to take. And, you know, in terms of branding, I think we want to position ourselves almost as a guide, right? So if you imagine, you know, our customer is somebody who's trading, taking a I had an analogy pop into my head. That's probably a bad one. But like, you know, if you kind of take any walk to Mordor, you want to have like a Gandalf with you. <laughs> crypto is not Mordor. <laughs> it's not there. It's not bad. It's fine. But but essentially, the point is, right, you kind of, you go, you venture into this unknown territory, right? You kind of go in where you haven't been before. You don't know how it works. uh, You don't know what to expect. And we, right, as, as of can be well the 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 conduit is a bad pun but, but that's why that's why that's why that's why I, I did the name right so i can do these bad puns. but um but we we can be a, a guide for you right we can essentially lead you through the process we can explain what what's the regulation what's the compliance because we studied this we know what what it is we can tell what what to do and not to do and we can basically take you through through that together with us right so that's, that's the idea um and I'll just wrap that part up by saying, I don't think that comes through very much in our actual kind of external marketing materials, because we don't have much yet, right? It does come through, I think, or at least I'm trying to in our actual conversation.
0: So very much in the grassroots as I coined earlier, still talking to the founder on Zoom when you're onboarding. I think that's really awesome. So before we wrap up, Carol, and we mentioned this earlier, I asked you a little bit earlier, but... To wrap up, what advice would you give other founders undertaking launching a product like that? You know, there's obviously a lot to think about, a lot that could go wrong, a lot that could go right. What sort of one piece of advice would you leave our listeners with?
1: Well, actually, based on what you you just said, right? If you're a founder and you're not talking to your customers on Zoom, I'm sorry you're doing it wrong. Like, do get on as as early as you can and, and as late as you can take it, right? If you have zero customers... You absolutely must get on Zoom with prospects, right? And if you have 100 customers, get on Zoom with an existing customer and say, "Are you doing okay? Anything I can do to help?" Like do that. It's it's hard because it takes a lot of time, and there's a lot of kind of there's a lot of pressures on you. There's a lot of external factors, right? You have people inside that need your attention. You have investors that maybe you're trying to raise money or whatever. And this is all true, and it's very difficult. But at the end of the day, if you're not delivering value to your customers, none of this matters, right? So the investors, whatever, are not going to keep on giving you money if you can't create value. And the best way for you to figure out am I creating value or not is do that, right? Get on the other Zoom, don't talk to customers. And, you know, ideally now, actually, you can see even visit some of them in person, which is also, you know, takes a little bit longer usually, but also worthwhile, right? You build a relationship. So that's kind of that's uh, that's worth it as well.
0: That's a great piece of advice. I hope everyone's listening. And okay, one last question while I have you. Why do you love your job? As, assuming you love your job, right? <laughs> Why do you love your job and what makes you good at your job?
1: I do love my job. I mean, look, nobody's forcing me to start a startup, right? Nobody's like, nobody comes and says, you're going to be a founder or else. No, I could have had to. I could have had like any norm, normal job right and, and and stay there but no I definitely love doing this um I'm not going to it's not easy right it's it's hard and I think the reason that I love it is because I get to work with people uh that I like and that I enjoy working with and I I understood this a, a while ago actually about myself but not not right away I'm I'm a, honestly, I'm a fairly introverted guy, right? I'm, I'm like, I'm not the most open extra person you'll see. At some point I realized, actually, there's a way for, you, for, for me to choose the people that I work with, right? Not, I don't have to be like in a situation where I'm just kind of placed there and I, I have no choice, right? I can actually choose the people I work with. And so that led me to become first a manager, I guess, and then a VP and whatnot uh, to, to have a team. But then eventually you kind of want to say, I also want to choose my boss and, you know, uh, and I want to be more independent and I want to have more agency. And that's probably honestly the primary motivation for me to start a company was that, right. So I can have more agency, so I can choose the people that I work with. I can choose the investors so in the sense, right, choosing my board, so choosing my boss as well in some sense. Um, and I, I love it. I love the team. I'm not just saying this because they'll you know, they listen to the podcast. Maybe they won't. They're busy anyway. So, yeah, I mean, but, but I do. I, I like that and I enjoy that every day. And I don't know, maybe it sounds like a trivial answer, but it's very true.
0: Thank you. I love the honesty. And, and I think that's a great and very well worth it reason to undertake the tremendously hard stuff that comes with being an entrepreneur and founder. So, Thank you for joining me on the podcast. This was the seventh episode of the Acquire podcast with Carol Gertman, co-founder and CEO of Conduit, talking about the founding of a company with a mission to build one API for DeFi, going to market in unlikely geographies and crafting a reliable and trustworthy brand that stands out in the sci-fi aesthetic of the crypto world. To read the transcript of this conversation, you can head on over to the Tearsheet website and to stay tuned for upcoming episodes of the Acquire Podcast, be sure to subscribe to our marketing newsletter and follow Tearsheet on your favorite podcast platform. If you have any questions, thoughts, or ideas about the Acquired Podcast, you can write them to me at rebecca at tearsheet.co. I was your host, Rebecca Cohen. Until next time.